Hi, and thanks for listening to Here and Now Anytime. We've got new episodes every weekday afternoon, so make sure you don't miss anything by following and subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. Just look for Here and Now Anytime. And if you've already subscribed, tell a friend about us. Now here's the show. People are people. A skateboarder is a skateboarder, regardless of, of where you're from, and that's what keeps us in solidarity as a group of skateboarders. Remembering Tyree Nichols, the skater. It's Wednesday, February 1st, and this is Here and Now Anytime from NPR and WBUR Boston. I'm Chris Bentley. Today on the show, the ice storm sweeping the south, and tests find heavy metals in dark chocolate. But first, Tyree Nichols was a father, an aspiring photographer, and a skater. And that's the part of his life we're going to hear about today the day of his funeral in Memphis. Vice President Kamala Harris and the Reverend Al Sharpton attended the service, as did family members of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, other victims of police violence whose names became rallying cries in the fight for justice. As Tyree Nichols' name becomes part of that list, those who knew him want the world to remember and celebrate the person he was before Memphis police killed him. Christopher Dean owns the Sac Ramp Skate Shop in Sacramento, California, where Nichols is from. They're holding an event Saturday to honor his memory. And he told Robin Young how people there are remembering him today. A uh, very happy, friendly gentleman. He's well, most well known for helping kids learn tricks at the skate park. He was very artistic, creative, and um and a good dad. I know Regency Skate Park in Sacramento had a candlelight vigil. Uh, last night, I'm sure that uh, drew a lot of people. But talk about seeing Tyree skateboarding. I mean, you know, we've, we've all seen young people skateboard. He seemed unflappable, and people are saying that that went to his personality. If it didn't work the first time, he tried again. Uh, yeah, Tyree, it was a very proficient skateboarder, very skilled, and he's what we call in our community 100% skateboarder. All in. All in. All in. Yeah. I heard there was Thursdays with Tyree at the park. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, look, what do you want to see happen here? Because we know that some of his young friends are working with Tyree's family to organize a home-going celebration this Saturday at your skate shop. Mm-hmm. Some are talking about a memorial at the park. And skateboard parks across the country have been having memorials. What, yes. Yeah, what would you like to see? I would like to see what I think Tyree would like to see is because he was a skateboarder and that's kind of become synonymous with this, the story or the narrative Tyree, of course, aside from the the event and the police action, but this is, uh, I think he would love to see bringing up awareness of our community because there's in all of, I'm a 30 year plus skateboarder. There's no racial divide in skateboarding period. You'll never hear someone say, Oh, a black skateboarder or white or uh, an Asian or Hispanic. The skateboarder is just a skateboarder irregardless of any, um, pronoun. Mm -hmm. So I think we just want to raise awareness that the skateboarders as a subculture have figured it out. Um, as a natural human being long before most other mainstream, like just people are people, a skateboarder is a skateboarder, I mean, regardless of, of where you're from. And that's what keeps us in solidarity as a group of um, yeah. you know, as skateboarders. Oh, I wondered about that because in some parts of the country, these videos that we're seeing that were taken by his friends, it's, it's an image a lot of people don't see of uh, young black yeah. men skateboarding. It seems like this was a freeing place. 
Um, yeah, there's many role models as far as from the inside out. Skateboarders or skateboarders really, really don't um, yeah. differentiate each other by that. But it, it is great to see um, more awareness around skateboarding. And we're in the Olympics now. And skateboarding is is crawling out of what was always a contentious relationship with the police or security of, of where we were, where we find our places to skateboard at malls and banks and stuff. And it's great to see skate parks um, popping up all over the place, all around the country, providing a safe you know public area for skateboarding to happen yeah you're even as you're saying that i'm thinking you know he was safe in a skateboard park but not as we are seeing in 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 the streets of memphis um i you know something that struck me as very sad jerome neal one of his friends had just gone out to memphis in november to visit with tyree and he talked about wanting to start a video company and he, the, he has, he told NPR the first person he'd hire would be Tyree because he was so into documenting everybody else. Just your, your thoughts about it. if we didn't have those tapes, mm-hmm. a lot of people would have bought into another narrative about who Tyree right. Nichols is. Just talk about that. P- people being able to see what you saw. Um, yeah, it's great that there's that documentation because that's the passion of a skateboarder. Um, skateboarding would be better called uh, falling uh, because mm-hmm. that's 90% of it is you're falling and learning. And and, and the, the premise is to after you fall so many times and then you get the trick and then it's getting it on film. And then that is your that is your award. That's your self-affirmation is getting the trick. So it, it, it's great to have a lot of footage of him. But um, yeah, Jerome Neal is a, is a close friend of mine and he's a phenomenal um, videographer and he's had a number of videos. And I and yeah, that him and Tyree working together on a video project would have would have been a great creative outlet for them to keep pushing skateboarding forward for us here in Sacramento. Mm-hmm. What are you planning for the homegoing celebration that his mom and his family wants this Saturday at your shop? So there'll be tables and chairs, tents, pop-ups, and food outside. We expect uh, an outdoor public community crowd of between 400 to maybe 1,000 people. And then a 40-minute mm-hmm. skate for Tyree demonstration towards the end of the uh, function. I, you know, skateboarding is joyous, but this could get pretty emotional, I imagine. Yeah, uh, and, and we've we've taken some steps. Jerome, Neil, and myself spent a good amount of time uh, trying to really nail down what we want the, uh, the 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 feel and the vibe of the whole thing. So we do plan to keep it quiet and um, a little more somber, so that the family can you know express emotion without having like a larger crowd. We want to give them a chance to mourn in, in privacy without a huge yeah. crowd. You know, just uh, who knew that a tragedy in Memphis would be reverberating in Sacramento and then having this event for it. Yeah. Christine, again, owner of the Sac Ramp Skate Shop in Sacramento, California, where Tyree Nichols kind of grew up on a skateboard. Chris, thank you so much. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Sean. Coming up next, an ice storm stretching from Texas to Tennessee is expected to make travel dangerous and possibly knock out power through Thursday. In fact, it delayed the start of Tyree Nichols' funeral in Memphis today. We'll get the full forecast and ask how the region is coping after the break. That winter ice storm continues across the South today. In Texas, about a quarter of a million customers were without power as of this morning. And the governor is asking people to stay off slick roads. About 1,800 flights in the area were canceled. So let's bring in meteorologist Mark Elliott. So, Mark, we're meeting the storm Mara, which began Monday. What's the scale of it? 
Yeah, this is a, a, a huge winter storm by all stretches of the imagination from southwest Texas. And you can make the argument all the way through New England. We have this kind of drawn out front and slow moving precipitation shield that's meeting up with Arctic air. And that combination is giving us a widespread ice event for the south. And what's your sense of it? I mean, where does it go from here? Is it going to move, intensify? What's your sense? Well, it's been three days of ice across the southern plains, and I I would argue that's plenty, right? It doesn't need to intensify anymore for most of Texas. Uh, The Austin area hit really hard, widespread icing reports around the Austin area, and then just northeast of there, it's this corridor from Austin and then the counties north and east from there that have the worst of the power outages that you referenced. But there's ice all the way back to the Mexican border in extreme West Texas through the Dallas-Fort Worth area, southern Arkansas, northern Mississippi into Tennessee, areas that just quite frankly aren't that used to seeing winter weather are seeing it right now. And then luckily it does warm up over the next couple of days. So this storm system slides east, but it will bring very heavy rain eastbound. And there is a flood threat and even a severe weather threat for the rest of the southeast over the next couple days. Oh, boy. But you mentioned the ice. And uh, Texas's governor says the power's out in much of the state because of ice on power lines. Although this is not the broad grid uh, collapse like the one we saw in February 2021. But what, what, you know, especially for those in the area, unused to ice, perhaps, what are some of the other hazards that you're thinking about of ice? Yeah, ice and freezing rain, so liquid that falls through the sky and lands on below freezing ground and then freezes on contact or below freezing tree branches or power lines, as you referenced, and then it adheres there, it sticks there, and that adds a lot of weight. And so there are some real bad threats that come from a setup like that. Uh, It only takes about a tenth of an inch of ice, of freezing rain or ice on the ground, to shut down a roadway, just make it completely impassable, four-wheel drive or not, there's just, you lose the traction between the tire and the roadway at those small amounts. But we've seen numbers that are significantly more than that over this three-day, three-day, you know, storm frame, uh, some areas that got over an inch of freezing rain. And that's where we start to get into the more catastrophic tree branch issues and power problems because of stuff. Yeah. falling on the lines. Well, by the way, you just said something that maybe is the answer to what we thought was a stupid question, so I'm going to ask it anyway because we're curious. You just said that this is rain falling on frozen ground. We would had the question, why is it ice, you know, an ice storm instead of snow? Is that why? Because it's coming yeah. down. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the precipitation that you see at the surface where we're all hanging out has very little to do with what the temperatures are right where you're standing. The same way you can have snow falling on you at above freezing temperatures. Uh, It's all about the temperatures in that profile up above. Like if you were to, you know, think about a column of air above your head all the way to the top of the atmosphere, that precipitation is falling through all kinds of different temperatures and humidity levels along the way down. In this case, it's warm enough above that it melts a snowflake all the way down to a liquid raindrop. And once that happens, there is almost no temperature cold enough to refreeze that completely liquid raindrop before huh. it hits the ground. Huh. And so that's how you're getting liquid water that's hitting below freezing surfaces and it freezes on contact. Yeah. Just a few seconds here, but, uh, you know, it is the first day of a new winter month, rabbit, rabbit. And sometimes these storms are just winter. What are you seeing, though? Is there any reason to think these storms are happening more? 
in this case, probably not, not a clear signal for any big changes. Mm -hmm. In fact, it's going to be extreme cold that steals the headlines over the next couple of days. Sure. Uh, the Northeast Corridor is going to be seeing wind chills that get in that 30 below range for early Saturday morning. Mm -hmm. uh, Mount Washington could be approaching 100 below oh feels gosh. like temperatures for there uh, in northern New England. Okay. Keep an eye there. Meteorologist Mark Elliott, thanks as always. Thank you. Coming up, let me wade into a controversy, one that's apparently more heated than I realized based on our office debate, but dark chocolate is so much better than milk chocolate. So I was among the many people shocked by the news that consumer testing revealed that some dark chocolate bars contain cadmium and lead, two elements you really don't want to be eating or feeding to your kids. After the break, Robin reveals the not-so-sweet findings. Dark chocolate is often called the healthy candy because it's full of heart-healthy antioxidants, it's low in sugar, and that is all true. But it turns out it's full of other things, too. Yes, dark chocolate has less sugar than the milk chocolate some of us prefer, but some brands of dark chocolate also have lead and cadmium. A new study from Consumer Reports' health and food safety team tested 28 popular brands of dark chocolate bars, all of them contain the metals. In the worst cases, they found more than 200% of the allowable levels of either lead or cadmium. Five of them contain more than 100% of allowable levels of both. And forget the label organic, those items also had lead levels. We'll link you up at herenow.org. But meanwhile, what does this mean for chocolate lovers? And how did metals get there in the first place? James Rogers is the Director of Food Safety Research and Testing at Consumer Reports. He has a doctorate in microbiology and immunology. So James, Jim, before we start, this does not sound good, but you don't seem to be saying stop eating dark chocolate. Well, that is true, Robin. Don't panic about this because you can control your exposure to these heavy metals by making a couple of simple changes, such as don't eat dark chocolate as often, pick dark chocolate that has lower cacao because it is the cacao that contains the heavy metals and provides the contamination for these products. Mix in milk chocolate with dark chocolate. Yay. And maybe even consider getting other snacks or rewards so that you're not always depending on dark chocolate to have your chocolate fix. Okay, but I can hear people saying, wait, I, you lost me at <laughs> don't eat as much, right? Yeah. Um, so let's, let's back up. Uh, and I mm -hmm. know that there have been consumer groups have been concerned about the, the amount of mm -hmm. metals in um, ch dark chocolates, and there had been a lawsuit filed by As You Sow. And so this, this research, you know, is, is pretty well based in concerns of yes. what? You know, how does metal get in dark chocolate? There are two ways of these heavy metals getting into these products. With cadmium, the research has shown that if you have the soil where you grow the chocolate plants in that has cadmium in it, the roots will actually draw up the cadmium and it will end up in the cocoa seeds. And then when you process those cocoa pods into chocolate, the cadmium comes along for the ride. Uh, heavy metals are dangerous to humans for consumption, especially children and especially for pregnant women. So in the case of cadmium and lead, 
They can cause neurological dysfunctions. Um, they can cause a loss of IQ points in children that are exposed to these heavy metals. They can cause malformations in the neurology of a developing fetus. Mm. And there are some studies that suggest that heavy metals be associated with cancer. Okay, okay. So that's the cadmium. And what about the lead? So many times when the chocolate beans, the cocoa beans are being processed, one of the steps is for them to be dried, usually out in the open. And if you are processing these beans close to an industrial site, a place that is manufacturing lead batteries, for instance, the soil can become contaminated. And then as you're drying these cocoa pods, they actually have dust that blow over from the industrial sites and settle onto the seeds. And again, as they're processed into chocolate, into chocolate products, this lead continues to be with that uh, product. Yeah. There is something that manufacturers can do to try to reduce this, right? We suggest that the manufacturers consider testing the soil and find areas to grow the chocolate plants away from soil that's cadmium contaminated. Uh, when you are processing your chocolate pods, why not find a location away from industrial processing places and do it where dust cannot blow onto the pod. So there are probably a couple other things that manufacturers can do to make sure that cocoa pods do not get contaminated at this very first step after okay. harvest. We're going to link people to some of the findings so that they can look for their own favorite chocolate. But we know you tested everything from Hershey's. <laughs> I am the chocolate cheap date here. So I like, you know, <laughs> milk chocolate, uh, Trader Joe's, uh, but then expensive brands, Godiva, Valrona, all of them exceeded recommended levels. How do you figure out what's recommended? There is data out there in the research that has recommended levels of each of the heavy metals. And these levels tend to be more health protective than those of our regulatory agencies. And in this case, the chocolate products are regulated by the Food and Drug Administration. Now, we always say there is no safe level of lead. Right. But you can use dietary choices to make sure that your le lead level is as reduced as possible from what you eat. Well, and th that's a, a reminder, too, that lead is in other foods like spinach and fish. So yes. it's not just from the dark chocolate. And so what you and others are suggesting is that people just keep an eye on how much dark chocolate they're throwing back there. But what are some of the problems that come from too much lead? Well, we talked about cognitive development issues where children that eat lead, their IQ can be reduced, their mental development can be reduced or retarded. Isn't the good news that little kids really don't like dark chocolate? Yeah, that is part of the good news. And part of our recommendations also is to don't feed it to them. We're calling on the parents to limit or eliminate dark chocolate right. totally from a child's oh, diet. Boy. What about adults, and particularly pregnant women? Again, because these heavy metals can't have development issues and cause problems with the fetuses, we're recommending, too, that pregnant women avoid eating dark chocolate during their pregnancy just to make sure that their developing fetuses are not affected by these heavy metals. Yeah. And what about other adults? Because you're saying don't, don't give it up. But how do you, I mean, I'm just trying to gauge 
how much is... Well, I'm not sure that we're saying don't give it up. I think what we're saying is that these are one of those products that that people will probably eat anyway. So what we're trying to say, well, if you're going to eat this product, make wise choices, be a smart consumer, do the research, look for the data that's out there with our study and other studies, and then choose the products that are safer, not absolutely safe, but safer if you insist on consuming this product. Yeah. And we're going to, again, link listeners to your Consumer report studies. There's a graphic showing which chocolate bars tested, you know, the highest levels. It'll all be there. Also, you a reminder that it's in cocoa powder, you know, maybe frosting. So there, you may be getting it in other ways? Yes. Take a inventory of your chocolate consumption. So, for instance, if you're drinking hot chocolate, If you're eating dark chocolate brownie mix, if you are using the cocoa powders or the nibs for cooking, all of this adds up. Your heavy metal consumption is cumulative. I just want to ask you, Jim, what do you say to somebody listening, maybe popping a bonbon as we speak, (laughs) and saying, oh, come on, you know, half the population would be gone if, you know, you got kidney problems from dark chocolate. You know, there hasn't been a... Uh, a run on, oh my gosh, dark chocolate medical issues? Well, again, this is cumulative. And some of us are more exposed to heavy metals in our diet than others. For instance, people that grow up in homes or apartments that have lead-based paint would be Mm. far more exposed to lead than the rest of us that don't live in that type of environment. And so this is a chronic disease. It will creep up on you and add up your total heavy metal exposure that will determine whether you will develop problems by consuming these heavy metals. And you may not know that it's from that. And you may not know because you you could look at any of these dark chocolate bars and there is nothing on the wrapper to tell you or caution you that there may be cadmium or lead in the the best you can do is do your research. Write the dark, dark chocolate manufacturers and demand lower heavy metal concentration. Right. Write your Congress people and have the FDA advocate for regulations that prevent high levels of heavy metals in dark chocolate. Our advocacy team has a petition that consumers can sign that helps us advocate to both the manufacturers and the FDA that they should set health protective levels of these heavy metals in dark chocolate. And we'll have it all at herenow.org. James Rogers, Director of Food Safety Research and Testing at Consumer Reports. Thank you so much. Okay, and thank you. This show comes from the team behind Here and Now from NPR and WBUR Boston. And while you're at hereandnow.org to check out that petition from Consumer Reports about heavy metals in your dark chocolate, you can find the other stories we're following today, including a shortage of some medication used to treat ADHD. There was a boom in ADHD medication supply during the pandemic, and that's partly because of Cerebral, one of the telehealth startups that took advantage of a pandemic-era rule that allowed for controlled substances to be prescribed and distributed over apps online. You can hear that story at hereandnow.org. Today's stories were produced by Lynn Menegon, Sam Rafelson, and Karen Miller-Medson. Our editors are Gabe Bullard, Peter O'Dowd, Jill Ryan, and Kat Welch. Technical direction from Max Liebman and Mike Moschetto. Theme music by Max, Mike, and me. Our digital producers are Grace Griffin and Allison Hagen. And the executive producer of Here and Now is Carlene Watson. 
Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.